Hi, I'm Ann Barker. And I'm Liz James. And you're listening to The Cracked Cup. change the plan we had a theologically profound and funny podcast planned but then i decided i didn't want to be theologically profound because it is very hot we're recording this in <laughs> july ahead of Anne's knee operation following the giant heat wave not following maybe following for you people out west oh. <laughs> so instead we are going to tell summer stories which are mostly fun but definitely joyful and see where that goes instead because Anne has a story about a mean uncle which I do not think is a funny story. I think it's a mean, abusive story. (laughs) Well, that was a good beginning. Thanks for that. That's an excellent lead-in. Yes. Well, then we'll have a poll, and they can tell me whether they agree with me or you. I guess you get to define your reality. I guess, but then you redefine it. That's how that works. (laughs) You know you can ignore my redefinition. You mean like always? No, only with my permission. But you have my permission this time. Oh, that's so kind of you. It's a special occasion because you're going to have your knee operation and I want to be kind. Yeah. Okay, so (laughs) when I was a kid, my mom's aunt and uncle lived in a house on Shushwap Lake in the Okanagan. And they had this uh, piece of property on a 99-year lease that they built two cabins on and family could come and stay. And we used to go for a week or sometimes two weeks. And one summer we even... Uh, got to go for a whole month, which was super, super awesome. It was right on a lake and water is my happy place and I love to swim. This story (laughs) is going to be too long and you're going to have to interrupt me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't interrupt you because I heard this story during the prep time. So I was tuning out and making plans for how I was going to redefine it. (laughs) You have to, you need to give me like bunny ears to show me that I need to interrupt you. Oh, this is for the interrupting cow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that looks like a like a bull. No, it looks like cow horns. Mm. Don't cows have horns? Oh, shit. this is going to be the hay problem again. I was writing a deep, profound sermon about Rumpelstiltskin, and I was listing all the things you could do with straw and hay. And then John was like, animals can't eat straw? No. Like, animals can only eat hay. And then yeah. there was this pause, and it became clear that I did not know that straw and hay were different things. And he's like, this is why theologians shouldn't write about agriculture. It is very complex. How did I get to straw and hay? See, you asked me to interrupt you and boy, did I. Okay, <laughs> back to your uncle. <laughs> okay, so we used to go to Shushwap Lake and I used to live in the water. And the only thing wrong with going to this summer camp magical place was that I was scared to death of my uncle. Because he was a monster. Maybe, maybe not full monster. <laughs> I've only just... heard anything about him in the last 10 minutes. Right? You didn't so even know he existed. I may not today. have a full depth of understanding of his character. So he was a tall, skinny, stern looking, wiry farmer. And he didn't use a lot of words, which, of course, I do not understand. <laughs> I don't trust people that don't use a lot of words. And he, um, yeah, I was just, you know, you just have that residual, don't leave me alone with this person too long because I think they're mean. <laughs> Except he was never mean to me, although he did tease us. <clears throat> anyway. He so mean to you at least once. There was this beautiful dock 
But every once in a while, he would get this sneaky, glinty gleam in his eye, and you would notice that there was a kid on the dock with him, and you would just know that that kid was going to end up in the water, right? So he would turn around and pick them up and toss them into the water when they weren't expecting it. We all could swim. I don't care. He was not like he was tossing us off the deep end. He thought he was being funny. He's wrong. And he would just toss you in and we would all go, ah, have a mouthful of water, swim to the swim to the shore, whatever. But he'd never tossed me in. Because you don't take any shit is why. Well, or I just really avoided him because he had that <laughs> glint in his eye. Right? So <laughs> anyway, one day. I was out on the dock doing something and he came trundling mm. out onto the dock and I could see from like a hundred miles away that he had that look in his eye. There wasn't even going to be a sneak attack. It was just going to be, you're there. I'm on the path. You can't get past me. You should have so, been carrying bear spray. That might have been going a bit too far. <laughs> I don't think so. So in this circumstance, normally what I would have done was jump in the water, which mm -hmm. then prevents him from having his joyous um, triumphant <laughs> moment. And I'm happier in the water anyway. But this one time he's coming and it was almost like hypnotic, like the deer in the headlights thing. Oh my God, he's coming for me. I'd have been about 10. And he picked me up and I grabbed with both hands onto his t-shirt in like really tight, clenchy little fists, which he did not notice. And when he threw me, he realized <laughs> that he was also going into the water. Yes. <laughs> and to his credit, he did this super magical um, dive over me so that he did not land on top of me, right, in the water. Oh. Um, people on the shore nice said they could not believe that, like, the, first of all, the shock on his face when he realized <laughs> he was going in and then that he was about to be pulled on top of me. So dove over me into the water. And when I heard him splash, terror <laughs> filled my heart so Why? i oh because he was going to be mad at you for do but nobody had ever pulled him into the water what's good for the goose is good for the gander yeah i was 10 so i swam 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 as fast as i could and ran up the shore and hid behind my mother <laughs> And you know when you see those like sea monsters emerging in, in the <laughs> B movies from the lake and they come stompy, stompy, stompy out of the water and his arms were out to the sides dripping and he was wearing like jeans and a t-shirt and he very ceremoniously pulled his cigarettes out of his pocket and threw the package into the fire pit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pulled his wallet out of his pocket. Wallets can dry. I know, but it was like he had this whole ceremonial pulling of the things out of the wallet to lay them out to dry. Oh, whatever. Give me a break. Did you feel guilty or no? I felt like a freaking superhero. <laughs> a scared little superhero <laughs> hiding behind their mother. I think all superheroes are scared. All of a sudden... I had this massive strength that I didn't know I had. I felt so triumphant and so terrified all at the same time. But that has been one of my favorite 
memories of summer forever because he gave this big glumpy I am the monster and you have wronged me look but ever after that he would kind of wink at me when I'd go by like I was the feisty little bugger who had caused the trouble Yay, you and got away with respect. it I did I earned his respect and I also kept a very safe distance from him <laughs> I love how I'm so enraged at him for throwing you in the lake, even though in the preface to the story, you said the lake is your favorite place to be. Right. Like, right. You, have, you have no concern about being in the lake. It's the consent. <laughs> I did not consent to going in well, the yeah. lake. But turns out he did not consent to going in the lake either. And he hated it more than I did. Yay. <laughs> yeah. No, this is like when our rat used to bite our fingers and we would pick up the rat's tail and we would stick it in the cage and then it would bite its own tail. <gasps> no. The punishment is appropriate to the crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how when you go back to school in September and the teacher says, I want you to write a story about what you did this summer. <laughs> I had written that story at home before I got to school. You're just waiting. To I waiting. took it with me. <laughs> so we also spent a lot of time at the lake. My mom was an avid kayaker and we went up with the canoe club to northern Saskatchewan near La Ronge. There were all these different events that we would compete in. Like you had to shoot the rapids carrying some Kool-Aid. One year the military came and was shooting the rapids and they were like not with as guns? good. No, no, <laughs> no, like they had their little <laughs> aluminum canoes, but they didn't know not to go into the boil. I don't know if boil is a well-known term, but it's like where the water goes down and curls back in on itself. It's all swirly. It a rock. Yeah. 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 You knew which spots not to go into. You could read the water and tell, but they did not because they were army people or whatever. <laughs> and they went over and they folded all their canoes in half. They lived. They were okay. But all the canoes were mangled. So they're at the bottom and they're pulling it out. And there's little <laughs> Wendy. who's like nine years old at the time. And they're pulling it out. And she's like, so let's go over the mistakes you made in choosing your path. So that in the future, you will not fold the taxpayers' canoes in half. <laughs> so what you're saying is Wendy has always been an educator. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it turns out the army didn't like it, but they're not allowed to shoot her. Oh, good, good, good. So my favorite that I always won, because I never won anything as a child, you had to be an adult child team, and they had an obstacle course set up on the lake of things you had to go around. Mm-hmm. They'd put the kid in the front of the canoe, and they'd put the adult in the back of the canoe, and they'd spin the adult around a bunch of times and blindfold them. And in then the they paddled. Well, they spun them and then put them in the canoe. I don't know how they got, well, that's... Nobody fell in. Okay. And then the child would say where to go, but the adult had to paddle. So I like this partially because I got to narrate and instruct the whole time, but partially because I won, which I always figured is because I'm an excellent narrator and instructor (laughs) until dad was with somebody else. And I realized it was always dad that won, not me. Right. And I said to him, why do you always win? And he said, because unlike the other adults, I don't try to have a map of where we are going in my mind. I just trust the child and follow their instructions because they can <laughs> see they're a child, but they know left and right. I they're also not see. nauseous. <laughs> yeah. And I watched and totally what was happening is the adults would look at the obstacle course. They'd get an image in their head and then they'd try to like have a mental map along right. with it, but they'd be right. wrong. Right. And they're <laughs> so, swoopy swoopy all over the lake because they've just been spun not around. Listening. And that was so much my father's personality was you trust the person who can see the thing about what the thing is, and you've got your area of expertise and they've got their area of expertise. And especially with children who he treated like 
people. Yeah, like people, right? So <laughs> if you were five, he didn't think you could do calculus. Actually, if you were five, he did try to convince you to do Because he'd been calculus. teaching you since you were three. <laughs> <laughs> he would like simplify it. Like, so the thing about integrals is, let me figure out a way to put this in shorter words. And I'm like, the words aren't the problem, Dad. The concept is too right for me right. at my age. <laughs> there was a life lesson to that about right. even if you think you're smarter than whoever, you might not be right. But trust the person who can see what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Hey, summer is so full of life lessons. I think we think that they're the exception. And really, they're the things that stick with you. Like just remembering always how proud I felt in that moment. You can learn a lot when they let you out of school. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when they free you. That is a whole podcast in itself. Anne was an unschooler of her children. And I was right. horrified and really worried about all the things that they wouldn't learn at school. And it's been fine. It's not Turns out they're all gainfully them. employed and doing well, fine in their lives. So. They didn't learn blind obedience quite as well as my children did. <laughs> you know, that was the plan. <laughs> that they not learn blind obedience and then it you know it, that did make for a lot of long years <laughs> there are times okay when now. a child when a child or adult needs to understand that the reason you have to do this is because systems of power work in this way and yes that person has a blindfold on and you can see the boys but you still have to just <laughs> shut up and go along with it and your children didn't have that skill but not having that skill can be good as well <laughs> well yes yes <laughs> I'm going to just breeze over that. <laughs> I always have to send content warning when I when I throw the children under the bus, and I don't want to have to do that in the You summer, didn't throw so. the children under the bus. I threw the children under the no, bus. No, I know, but I mean, like, if I continue on with the story. <laughs> you know, saying that someone doesn't have blind obedience isn't throwing them under the bus. If this were another type of religious podcast, blind obedience would be more prized. But much to our detriment, Unitarians do not prize blind obedience. I am not talking about your story. I am talking about the 27 funny stories that just popped into my head, which I would I have to give content warning for. I told you this would happen, that you would come up with good stories. Tell your mm -hmm. other stories. We don't mean about, about those two kids, some other kids that you knew one time. <laughs> <laughs> all of the other kids yeah tell your summer sports story okay so once i went to a different lake with um with a friend of mine and her parents and at this lake there was a guy who prided himself that he could teach anybody how to water ski he had oh. never failed right uh oh right <laughs> <laughs> Um, we may have mentioned in the past that athletics is not my strength. <laughs> I love to swim, but that's, you know, really very self-determined. And I didn't have a lot of sports experience, but he was determined that he would teach me how to water ski. So I had never water skied, but um, Scary Uncle at the other lake, he had a boat and he would take people water skiing. And I had tried once and failed. And I think maybe twice. He would give you two tries and he's like, you're hopeless to the shore with you. I like him less and less. I know, right? So I'm out with these friends and they insist How you're not that... worried about throwing him under the bus? He's dead. Excellent. Okay, continue. <laughs> okay. So this guy insists that he can teach anybody how to water ski. So you get the life jacket on and the skis and you get in the water. And I tried and I fell. And he's like, that's okay. Here's what you do. Hint, hint, hint. Information. Try again, fell. Try again, fell. <laughs> Everybody else made it up within three tries. Right. And then I'm at five. 
and seven. And now everybody's <laughs> on the shore, um, you know, roasting wieners and marshmallows. And I'm like, I think we should stop now. And this guy says, no, I have never failed. And I was like, but I have. <laughs> and he said, but see, when we're done here, you will have succeeded. And I want you to have the opportunity to succeed. And so that's the big lesson, right? That this person, I mean, sure, he also (laughs) needed to keep his perfect record. But he really, really wanted for everybody who wanted to try to figure out how to succeed. And you just had to figure it out. Because pain is temporary and pride is forever. It took me 17 tries. <laughs> Nobody was watching anymore. Nobody, except the guy driving the boat, thank goodness. I love him. Se- I love him too. 17 tries. And he had given up telling me what to do. We were just going to keep trying until I did it or died. And 17 <laughs> tries and I got up. And so then he has this big horn that he blows on the boat when somebody gets up for the first time. Every circled around so I could see the people and you could tell that everybody was shocked because like they really thought this was the one that was going to break his streak. So back to scary uncle at the lake. Next summer, my family goes up to um, Shushwap Lake again. And my uncle is taking people water skiing. And I was like, I I would like to try. Now, I didn't know if I could get up because it took me 17 tries. <laughs> but I believed in my body that I knew this feeling of how to get up. I think I used to lie in bed and think, I need to remember this feeling. I need to remember this feeling. There's really good science about that, that if you have a skill and you lie there and you think through doing it, you can you can improve. That is how I learned through. how to drop a hip in belly dancing, right? Because I couldn't figure it out while standing, but I could figure it out in my brain lying down in my bed. Now that I'm repeating this science, I realize that I don't know the source of it. And I try to avoid doing that, especially when it is, as this is, science that I want to have be true, that you can lie in bed and practice a skill in your mind. How about this just be magical summer science that we will go with, right? This is the special magical summer episode. (laughs) Two theologians offering special science. So back to uh, Scary Uncle Lake, and he's taking people out water skiing and he doesn't even look at me. And I say, I would like a turn, please. And he said, you can't do this. And I said, I would like a turn, please. I hadn't told anybody that I had done it. So he's like, and I think he thought it was a great opportunity to best the little monster that had pulled him into the lake a couple of years earlier. And so I get (laughs) in the water with my life jacket and my skis on and I'm holding the rope and he hits the engine and you go from like zero to nine million in the boat to get somebody up out of the water. It's not helping. And I go right up, right up, like a freaking kite, right up. (laughs) And he cut the engine and dumped me in the water to make make me fall. This is why we hate him. (laughs) So I flew and he cut the engine. Now, the people on the shore had no idea that I had successfully water skied. I mean, my parents knew. (gasps) My parents knew because I had come home like blazing flags and screaming and hollering from that vacation. (laughs) But nobody knew. So the minute I had got up, first of all, they were all in shock. And then they cheered hysterically, right? Like, Like the podcast, hysterically, they cheered And then he cut the engine and then they booed. (laughs) 
Good. <laughs> Good. And then they threw him in the Which lake again. Which was so satisfying. And he, I think, was determined to be, oh, no, no, you you fell. That wasn't me. I didn't cut the engine. I cut the engine after you fell. I was like, let's just do this again. And so second time, zero to nine billion. Up I go. I fly. Now, he may have tortured me slightly by taking me on the longest water ski anybody could ever imagine around the entire lake. And I very stubbornly hung on the whole time <laughs> so that Yay! I may not have been able to use my arms for the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> it's good exercise. That but it ski. was worth it. It was worth it. <gasps> and so the magic of that was first that with with the doing it 17 times, when I found the magic, I hung on to it. And second, revenge is delightful. <laughs> so this is a long story, so you should interrupt Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> or we'll go back and forth. <laughs> okay, so my story about the summer and doing the thing that I could not do is, you remember when we first started taking the Hysterical Society seriously? Yeah. I don't know if you were paying attention when I was taking it seriously. I was paying attention. Okay, so we were like, I don't know, 15, 20,000 people mm -hmm. at this point. And I had decided that I wanted us to have like a website where we would put some funny UU stuff. And I had decided we were going to sell stickers because there were some mm -hmm. fun stickers that I wanted to make. So I put like all of my allowance into buying allowance that I give myself into buying I'm glad that stickers. you clarified that because it always used to creep <laughs> me out when you would say that. <laughs> I put all of my allowance that I gave myself into buying these stickers and I was going to have a booth at General Assembly, which I will now call GA, which is the big American gathering of UUs. It happens every June. Yes. And so I bought all these stickers. I booked the booth, which was insanely mm -hmm. expensive. And I was going to try and sell this stuff and see how it would go because I did not understand that I am not a salesperson. <laughs> so... Uh, my accountant, right before I was about to leave, I said, how do I sell stuff in America? And he uh -uh. was like, oh. and I was like, I know, but there's got to be a way. He's like, well, there is, but you don't do it for $300 of right. sales. <laughs> and then I was just getting to know John, and John's like, just take it across and sell it. No one's going to care. And my accountant oh. was like, I don't know who you're getting your advice from, but you could be like barred entry from the United States. You can be put in jail. We have a track record of I don't get across the border very well, except that mm -hmm. one time when I accidentally bribed a border guard, but it was not on purpose. <laughs> also its own podcast, clearly. <laughs> so I was brokenhearted and I'm sitting there staring at these stacks of like stickers and posters you were so and proud of them and it was so, was so beautiful proud. and you were so excited and i wanted people to have the funny things and you'd been promising them funny things and i'd been promising so i was sitting there staring at this stuff thinking how sad i was that it was gonna be in the arms of people all across the continent who would laugh and love it and now it's just gonna sit in my living room and i realized that uh there's no point in it sitting in my living room i'm going to give it away no. anyways <laughs> And they can stop me from selling things, but they can't stop me from giving things away. And if I want to be a hippie communist, I'm going to go to America and hippie communist it up to my heart's content. Exactly. And I posted about it on the Facebook group and I made a button for if people wanted to pitch in and they pitched in by like hundreds of people pitched in thousands of dollars and they bought Aww. all the stock so that I could go to this booth. And just hand things away for free and be like, no, no, it's been purchased already. That is so Which great. Was, it was so wonderful. It was one of the most transformative experiences 
of my life. But I still remember trying to get this stuff through the border, right? And the guy's looking at this it clearly looks like right. merchandise. You have a van <laughs> full of merchandise heading to a conference. <laughs> right? Are you going to sell this? Also, he wanted to know if I was going to try and live in the United States. I was clearly living in my van. But he's like, you're going to stay there forever. And I said, well, no, my children live mm -hmm. in Canada. And he goes, we don't actually accept that as a reason. He was actually a reasonably right. nice man. And this is the border experience that we have every time we go to the United States, right? They always think they I want always to stay think you want to stay. <laughs> Which, and then if you explain the good good reasons why you'd rather live in Canada, they, they don't get all seem to like our reasons for not wanting to stay. <laughs> How do I know you're going to go back to Canada? Healthcare and gun control. They don't like it when you say that. <laughs> no, apparently all they really want to know is that like you have a mortgage on a house or something, or you own a business that you right. have to run from in the country. Things that lock you into living in the country. But my freaking children live yeah. in the country. <laughs> so after we worked out that and he was confident that I was coming back and not going to try to run my UU humor merchandise <laughs> business and live in the United States, he's going through all the stuff. And he's like, how do I know you're not going to sell this? This looks like stuff you'd sell. And I explained the whole story and there were posts and a trail. And I said, and the people pitched right. in and stuff. And then he picks up the UU indulgences and he goes... And you're not selling these? <laughs> I said, no, we're giving them away. And then he reads it. And if someone doesn't know, indulgences is something the Catholic Church used to say, I know you've done this bad sin, but if you give us this much money, you won't have to go in purgatory or hell for this sin. It's pretty shady. It was the ideal fundraiser. <laughs> Save your immortal soul. Right. Cash for the church. So we have on the website, you can download them. <laughs> you, you indulgences where like you check off the deity or lack thereof and forgiveness, absolution, negotiation, etc. You really should go look at them. They're funny could fill out the sins. They're super funny. You can write in your own sin. So he picks it up and he goes, you're giving them away? I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know what an indulgence is? <laughs> Clearly you don't understand. And I said, do you know what universalism is? Because the pillar of universalism is nobody goes to hell. And then his eyes got a little wide. And he's like, never mind. I got it. It's fine. You <laughs> Move along, go. lady. I don't want to hear about your religion, lady. Move along. So that's my new technique for getting through the border. <laughs> so I'll start launching into speeches about my religion. Hopefully there will not be a lot of follow-up questions. Random theology at the border, I'm sure, will be very helpful. Do you get through just fine because you're a minister, so they think you're special? That's a good question. I know I have colleagues who sometimes wear clerical garb when they're going through the airport because they get less flack when they do that. But I've never worn a clerical collar for any reason. And so I feel like wearing it in the airport would just be like the epitome of leaning on privilege <laughs> that I don't think I actually deserve. Would you get people coming up to you to ask for your help as a minister? I know when I travel with, well, the one doctor, <laughs> Gary, when I used to travel with Gary, he's like, don't put doctor on right. thing because if they need a doctor, they're going to call on Right. It. And I mean, he would volunteer if somebody's having a heart attack, but maybe not for the toenail, right? Whenever they say, do you want a doctor? All the doctors kind of look at each other like... <laughs> Who's going to give first? Say yes, first. Like, someone's going to go up, <laughs> but they don't want it to be them. <laughs> I love how you think that on the plane, it's full of doctors. <laughs> well, often when we're traveling, it's a conference. So there's been situations where they'll be like, is there a doctor on the plane? And they're all coming home from a conference together. <laughs> they all look at each other like, maybe there's someone who's not part of our group. <laughs> So that has happened. That's what I meant by plane full of doctors. The closest I've gotten to was once we came across a kid with a broken leg. There'd been a motorbike mm -hmm. accident. And Gary was like super helpful right? because he doesn't want to 
want ideally to have his evening derailed, but if someone needs right. him, he's going to stop. And so we sorted it out and he's helping the person and we had to call the ambulance and stuff and he's talking to them. And then as soon as the ambulance starts coming over <laughs> and appearing, he's like, thank you so much. Have a good evening. And then he hot it out there. He grabs my hand. He's like, run. I'm like, why are we running away? He's like, as soon as the ambulance arrives, we have paperwork to do. And sometimes they recognize me and then they get all cowboyish. Like one time they were like, we can do a tracheotomy. And I was like, this guy doesn't need a tracheotomy. He just has a broken leg. <laughs> well, my experience traveling is that when people know I'm a minister, they definitely treat me differently. But because I don't wear something, you know, like I don't wear my stole to the airport or anything like that. So they're not coming over and saying, you know, Reverend, I need to blah, blah, blah. But when I'm in the taxi on the way to the airport and the taxi driver says, so where are you going? And I say, oh, I'm off to such and such a city. And they say, oh, yeah, what for? And I say, oh, a conference, what kind? And then I have to stop and think about if I'm going to actually answer that. Honestly, because the minute I say it's a church conference and I'm a minister, then they apologize for swearing. Oh, yeah. And of course, then I have to swear back just to set them at ease, which comes naturally for me. So it's not complicated. (laughs) How do you deal with, because I run into this sometimes when people say, what do you do? Because I do run a religious organization. Mm -hmm. I sometimes say I run a religious organization that makes fun of my own religion. That's um, fun. But that's, it is fun and it does not lead to follow-up questions. Right. What I'm but it also for. gives you a way that you're lighthearted, right? Not not like that you're about to launch yeah. into a preachy diatribe. Right. But when I overemphasize the role of religion in my mm-hmm. life, it le- it puts the conversation in a weird direction because... I spend a lot of time on religion, but for example, I don't believe in God and I certainly don't care if you're drinking or swearing or having (laughs) sex with each other. Like none of that stuff do I care about at all. And so I feel like it's false advertising. Not that I would be ashamed to be a different kind of person, but I am not that person. (laughs) Like you must come across that. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So I would say probably the best technique is to lie. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you minister what what fake job um, do you have? i would use teacher right because i teach right i teach things that is not a lie um or that i'm just heading out to teach a workshop on you know doing stuff i don't know i don't really think it through too hard but mo- and most people when they're asking questions they're superficial until you hit on something that triggers them one way or another. Either it gets them excited or it makes them nervous. Like you say, I'm a minister and they're like, my mother would be mad at me for what I just said. I should just say I'm in social media. Yeah. And then they'll just think you're shallow. That's not, uh, not inaccurate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any issue with that. You've been listening to The Cracked Cup with Anne Barker and Liz James. We are so grateful to every one of you for listening. And a special thank you to our Patreon supporters, as usual, who make this podcast possible, but now more than ever. 
because this month our grant from the UU Funding Panel has ended, and so the fact that so many of you have pitched in and become patrons is what is going to allow this podcast to continue. If you want to be part of team pitching in Patreon, it's about $3 per month and you get access to all kinds of special content. Sometimes that's Zoom gatherings, sometimes it's stickers or printables. Last month it was the blooper reel from the podcast editing. This month it's a special bonus podcast episode filled with some more in-depth and more interesting stories that we didn't have space to include in the main podcast. Also, we are starting a Patreon Facebook group. After last month's episode, Candace sent me a message about wishing there was a spot to talk about some of the Cracked Cup stuff in more depth and some of the questions that we pose that are not actually meant to be rhetorical, and I really resonated with that. A big part of why we started this podcast and the Patreon was that Anne and I both wanted a smaller group that was more of a conversation than you can get with 80,000 people, and that had room for more of a conversation than can sometimes happen just around jokes and memes. And so we thought that maybe the Patreon would be that, but that's a really cumbersome platform. So we're going with Facebook. So if you are a patron, find us by searching The Cracked Cup on Facebook. We're a private group, but it should be visible. Just a side note, the choice to have it be only Patreon supporters in the group was a tricky one because we really wanted a small group of people who are excited about the content and want to have a conversation. We didn't want to open it up to everyone. And patrons was an easy way to find the group of people who are most excited about supporting the podcast and having conversations about it and all that. But making it only patrons excludes people who might be genuinely excited, but just the $3 a month is a barrier for them. And if that's you, know that we do not want you shut out of that conversation. And I've included information for how to reach me in the show notes. And don't hesitate to reach out. And we will put you in the group anyways. You don't have to be a patron if cost is a barrier for you. The Cracked Cup was produced by Liz James and Anwen Dyko, and funding for this project comes for the last month from the UU Funding Program in addition to our amazing Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for listening.